Welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast. My name is Gwen Reyes. And I'm Danielle Dresser. This is a podcast where we talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to. We also dig into publishing industry news and stories that you may have missed. Today, we're talking about pop culture historicals, and we have a fascinating interview with Vanessa Riley, author of An Earl, the Girl, and a Toddler, and the forthcoming Island Queen, which she gives us a little sneak peek into. It's very exciting. Gwen and I will also update each other on our goals from the last episode and talk about what's bringing us comfort this week. Yay! All right, well, let's get started. Yes, please. Okay, Danielle, this has been a week. Um, We, uh, this is, you guys are hearing us from the past, I guess, because we did the beginning or the last week of March, we did a full recording of podcast episodes. And so um, we are recovering from that this week, (laughs) but still chatting, which I love, but I'm curious to know, how are you feeling? What's your vibe like right now? Right. Specifically right now, I was saying earlier before we started, I'm very Mm -hmm. like sleepy because the weather in Chicagoland right now is very like rainy and gray. It's the afternoon. (laughs) So yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of tired right now, but other than that, I feel good. It's been a good week. I've like yeah, I feel like I've gotten a lot done, which is oh. weird during this time to like feel <laughs> like I was productive. Um, you know, and my my daughter was back in school after spring break. So that was great. And yeah, so yeah, I think I feel pretty good. That's How good. Yeah. How about you? I'm feeling good too. We're still like in the throes of our move right now mm-hmm. of getting ready and packing and all over the place. But uh, I had put off sort of, focusing on cleaning up and straightening out things because we're having, we're supposed to have viewing or viewings called viewings. It's not a funeral. We're having showings on uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, so I'm trying to make the house look a little appropriate for it. And, uh, I've been, yeah, so I've been just cleaning and I feel good about that. Like I took a lot of stuff to the Goodwill donation drop off, which was really cool and cleaned out part of my closet, but my ADD is in full force to, or my ADHD is in full force today because like I'll walk into a room and then I'll start working on something. And then like, I'll remember and go into another room and then sit all of a sudden I'm sitting in my closet, like throwing away shoes. So yeah. it's really, it's really a, a challenge in ADHD management today. <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. It's just, yeah. If you pick one thing up and then um, it's like whatever triggers your memory, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh yeah, I started that other thing. I should finish that. And then it's like, oh wait, but I started this other thing too. Yeah. <laughs> so what do I do? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then you're just like, oh, I'm going to make a coffee. Like, exactly. That's I'm what gonna, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a coffee and think about this for a minute or yep. I'm going to, uh, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I'm yeah. going to have another drink. And then my table is full of like four beverages. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> same, 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 same. Um, so let's do our fun little thing is what good, what's one good thing you've achieved this week? So what do you feel like you've achieved this week? Um, I, I feel like I have achieved learning how to use this program offer up to sell mm-hmm. stuff on the internet. Mm-hmm. I've learned about scamming from that because people are out here trying to scam people out of couches uh, <laughs> like myself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I felt really good. Like just sort of tackling a new technology that I didn't know about doing sales, which is like a big part of my job, but also just something I don't always enjoy having to do the customer service part of it. But I feel like that's one good thing I've achieved. That this is good. Selling. I sold my television and I'm just trying to sell oh. everything else now. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Um, I'm trying to think, well, 
I think last time or the time before that, whenever, at some point I updated everyone and said that I had sent draft to, or like my rough draft of my second book to my agent who has it. Yeah. Um, and that felt really good. But this week I like crossed like 50,000 words on the book that I'm, that will hopefully be the third book. Danielle, that's great. No, oh and my so gosh, three books in one year that you've written. That's insanity. Oh, it's really <laughs> wild. I mean, to be fair, the first book I started in like 2019, but you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, so now I just feel like it's like I see the end point, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so hopefully by like, I don't know, the end of the month or a little bit after, I'll have like that rough draft done. And then I can revise, you know, I usually let it sit for a little bit and then I can Mm -hmm. revise it. But yeah, I feel like, like, I don't know why, like 50,000 words is just, you know, that's like what you do during NaNoWriMo. Yeah. And that is a lot. Like, and you know, I didn't do it in a month, (laughs) (laughs) but I definitely, yeah, it like feels like an accomplishment. So, so yeah. Awesome. I'm so proud of you. That is so awesome. That's great. Yeah. Um, so speaking of writing, this is a bad segue. I was going to say, speaking of writing, let's talk about <laughs> something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, this week, I think kind of inspired by our talks with Lauren Willig, whose episode mm-hmm. is already up. And then today's interview that's coming up in the next segment with Vanessa Riley. You know, we kind of started thinking about pop culture historicals. That's what we're calling it. So like, TV, movies, books, every, you know, any, anything really in regards to historicals and not just fiction either. You know, I think we're going to chat a bit about biopics and stuff too, but they are such interesting people just in general. They're Mm -hmm. amazing and they were lovely to talk to, but also we asked them about like the role history and historical fiction in particular can like play in our lives and how it interacts with what we look at for entertainment, but also Mm -hmm. like how the past, we we asked both both of them, how the past informs the present and the future. Yeah. They both had, they had similar answers, but they were both, they were still very different. And and then that was really interesting. So I'm I'm not gonna even like try to paraphrase them because they're both incredible. We'll we'll let them use their own words because they were both so great. But it definitely got us thinking about that. Yeah, it got us thinking about that. I mean, we're both very familiar, I think, with fiction, with write, with um, with literature and books. Like we are, we both love the classics, and we both pay attention, especially to historical romance, but historical fiction. Um, it's probably one of the most popular genres on freshfiction.com in regards to like what people look at when they go to it. In addition to that, you know, I think we, we, Bridgerton, Bridgerton has come up a ton on just, we really haven't dived into Bridgerton on the podcast and I think that's fine. It's been talked about yeah. <laughs> ad nauseum since it came out last Christmas, but you know, between Bridgerton and Downton Abbey and then, but also shows like small or lesser known shows like Small Acts and Harlots. I think Lovecraft Country, you know, had a pretty big impact earlier this year when it came out. And so, yes, we wanted to dive into it and and talk about why we love we being like the collective population of consumers. <laughs> like we lo- we go towards the historical aspect of things. So yeah. 
the first question that I put on this outline was, have you always been interested in historical fiction, but in any medium? And mine is like a resounding yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, fancy ball gowns, pomp and circumstance, high society, low society. If you're in or you're out, you know, like I've always been interested in that. So yeah. Yeah. How about you? Same. I've always been incredibly interested in it since I was a little kid and we got the Disney channel and I could watch old episodes of Anne of Green Gables, Anne of Avonlea, um, and then Road to Avonlea. So like any sort of historical story was so interesting to me. And I also, as you were talking, I think it's because I like the rules in it. Mm -hmm. Like there's in historical, there's so many rules where it's fun to sort of break them. But at the end of the day, you know what you're coming in for. Um, And you know that like, they're going to be a little restraint. And yes, of course there was sex and premarital sex and things like that before, um, before the modern era, but it's kind of fun to think of a time where there wasn't. And it's like, you have to sort of build relationships in a different way and build connections Mm -hmm. in a different way. Yeah. You know, it's funny you brought up Disney because so maybe a month ago there there's this group of bloggers and I'm already blanking on the few <laughs> that do it, but they, they, they do a monthly chat call and it's called reader chat. It's you follow the hashtag on Twitter and they, um, I think we, I can't remember what the last chat was. I think it was like, not the most recent one and definitely not by the time this airs, but there was one that I will find and I will link to kind of the main thread of it um, in our show notes. But it was about, I think it was about fairy tales and maybe fairy tale retellings. But I remember a point that a lot of people made, and I think people of similar age as you and I, is that like we were, you were like forced to like historical stuff because of all the Disney movies. Yes. Like all of the Disney princesses are set in yes. some, some sort of, you know, not quite apparent historical time period. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, so I think we it's like ingrained in a it especially I think in young women mm-hmm. from a very young age to like be interested in in the past and in, in past. historicals, I think for some whatever reason. I don't know. Yeah. The Disney Channel and all of that. Yeah. Avonlea. Oh my gosh love oh my god Avonlea is so good I wish that I could find I and as I say this I haven't done any research to see if it's on like a streaming service at all but like uh, Sarah Polly what a what a just what a Canadian dream that lady is (laughs) (laughs) yeah so let's just dive right in and talk a bit about our our thing I'm like looking I have to like scroll through our outline I know we had we We both had a lot (laughs) we had so much fun with this topic we were like here are all the things we love yeah so okay so let's start I like how you broke this out you broke yours down really awesome so I want you to go first because mine is okay cool I was like I loved how you did yours too this is why we are so we love working with each other so much because I'm like oh I like how you separate things okay cool (laughs) yes sorry this love fest that we're having um all right so yeah I have like I said, I've always been particularly uh, fond of a great costume piece. Um, so I kind of broke this out on based off of like how I think of them. So my first ones are my gateway historicals. I mentioned Anne of Green Gables with Megan Fellows already, who I love. Um, I even at one point there was a, a sequel or like a very late done sequel to um, Anne of Green Gables that came out in like 2001 or 2002. And I found a copy of it 
like a bootleg copy that Netflix was sending. I had it shipped to me in Virginia so that I could watch this. And then I love that Gilbert so got like God, not Gilbert Godfrey, Gilbert Blythe die. It was <laughs> yeah. so sad. Oh, and it was, oh. oh, I have to tell you, it was a two disc DVD. And I started with, it, oh, it was one disc, but it was the flip over kind. And I can never remember <laughs> how yeah. it works. So I of course watched the second half first and then was like, oh. everything's very confusing and had to go back <laughs> and watch the first half, but it was good. So Anne of Green Gables, Anne of yeah. To Avonlea, um, obviously Little Women, Pride and Prejudice. Those were all my gateway historicals. Um, I just really, really love them. And then I went to college. Uh, well, I got I got into sexy stuff. So when, um, <laughs> I could go to Blockbuster by myself, I was yeah. able to pick up a whole bunch of stuff. So there was The Serpent's Kiss, which is a, a movie starring Ewan McGregor, where he is a gardener. Uh-huh. And um, so he's like, he's having an affair with, I think, the not the daughter, but I think like the love interest of the person who owns the house that he's doing all this beautiful gardening landscaping work with. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like secret dalliances and lots of sexy stuff. So it was, it was an (laughs) example of like seeing sex in a historical context that I hadn't experienced before because I had only seen Anne of Avonlea and and Road to Avonlea. Um, (laughs) I also love North and South. Uh, Is that one that you've seen that the mini series with Richard Armitage? yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So that was another histor- sexy historical. I loved it. Um, also Washington Square, which stars Ben Chaplin and Jennifer Jason Lee, which is like one of the most tragic stories because it's this, she's the rich daughter. She's the daughter of a rich man who is incredibly controlling. And then mm-hmm. he dies and she just, and like the boyfriend, the boyfriend, Ben Chaplin doesn't want to be with her because she doesn't have money. And then he, she does have money. And then, right it's like, uh, so it's just so great. And then she chooses herself at the end and opens up a school. So that was nice. Um, and then I also have more, uh, recent ones. I loved the favorite, which is about Mm -hmm. queen Anne and, um, the great, which was about Catherine the great. They're both really zany. They're written by the same, um, writer, same screenwriter. Mm -hmm. So they both have this sort of like, like a modern edge, but they're still just, so beautiful and insane and zany and yeah. wild. And I just have such a great time watching them. And I cannot wait for the second season of The Great on uh, Apple. I think, right? It's oh, on Hulu, Hulu, I believe. Hulu, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, and then I've got some modern historicals. So these are all ones that take place um, around the 20th century. Well, I guess Dangerous Liaisons, not really uh, modern in that sense. So Dangerous Liaisons, one of those, but then Velvet Goldmine, which is one of my absolute favorite movies. It takes place in the seventies um, about the glam rock era. And um, Never Let Me Go, which is sort, it's it's weird because it's like futuristic, but really it's historical. Like it's supposed to take place in the seventies, but yeah. then there's like cloning and and it's very tragic. Again, I love, I love any sort of, I find historical is best when it's tragic and everything has to end in like some sort of like c- consumption or death or something like it's really <laughs> bleak for me. Yeah. Um, so I loved uh, Velvet Goldmine, Never Let Me Go, Dangerous Liaisons, Love Cat. You mentioned Lovecraft Country, mm-hmm. Watchmen. I kind of put them together, and then there's a new show on Amazon called Them, mm-hmm. which is a little sim. I find it a little similar to Lovecraft Country, but it's a um, historical horror film yeah. or show. And then finally, the over on Netflix, The Crown. Yeah. I really enjoyed that because um, it's cool to, you know, get a little inner seeings of the monarchy and their corruption and their terribleness. Uh, and then finally I separate, I bumped out and I have a couple of 
biopics that I yeah. love. Um, Chaplin was one that I watched. I saw it in the theaters when it came out, Robert Downey Jr. And it's mm-hmm. always been one that I, I don't know if it's necessarily a good movie, but to me, it's a very good movie. And like, I just really, even now I'll watch it and I'm just like, this is so good. Like Charlie Chaplin is a horrible person, but this is such yeah. a great movie. Yeah. Um, I, I love Taryn Egerton, uh, Taryn mm-hmm. Egerton's uh, version of Elton John and Rocket yeah, Men. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. Um, and then What's Love Got to Do With It, which is the Tina Turner mm-hmm. biopic, which uh, was, I probably saw way too young. <laughs> it's all with my <laughs> grandmother when I was like 10. Yeah. But um, it definitely made me afraid of men for a very long time. So that, that did its job. <laughs> and then finally, um, Elizabeth and the Golden Queen, which mm-hmm. were the uh, the two versions of Kate Blanchett's Elizabeth that I, yeah. yeah. So that's fine. Those are all my faves. Really, yeah, it's really great. You know, it's interesting because like, I think all of these almost fall under this category. Talking about like biopics are so weird. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what, oh, I was listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour and they did an episode about Chadwick Boseman because, you know, oh. for a while it was like all Chadwick Boseman did was were like, the biopics were yes. biopics of like yeah. incredible black men. Yeah, because he did and... 42, he did Get On Up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, and they kind of talked about that. They, you know, they talked about how it's like, is this like, was it, for a while everyone was like, is this his shtick? Is this what he's going to do? But then he started to do other stuff, and of course, was in Black Panther. They they talked about biopics and how, like, a lot of times in biopics, like the movie isn't that great, but the performances are yep. amazing. So, yeah. and I think all of these. The first Elizabeth was really good. The second Elizabeth, it was not so good. Was not great. But yeah. but Kate Blanchett, I mean, could like just walk around, and I think she'd win an Oscar, so it's fine. Yeah. Um. And yeah, and and like one that they brought up, I think was um also was Judy Garland was Renee Zellweger oh, Julie yeah. Garden Julie Judy Garland mm-hmm. um because everyone was like oh her performance is amazing but the rest of the movie is awful it's like not great yeah I was just thinking oh. another one that was like that for me was um the Iron Lady with Meryl Streep yeah. where she did win the Oscar right. for it performance is amazing that movie is horrible even even um Jillian Anderson on the crown as Margaret Thatcher. Oh, she was so good. I know. Right. <laughs> amazing. But it was like, what are you saying? What are you um, doing? Why are, because you're right. It's always a caricature in a way. And then that becomes the informed version of that person. Yeah. Like you're right. Like I always think of, um, who's the lead singer? Uh, Jim Morrison. I always think of Val Kilmer as Jim yes. Morrison because exactly. I think of the doors the movie and not the actual band. And I'm yeah. surprised when I see his face, I'm like, oh, you don't play Val Kilmer. yeah no I I completely agree I approached this and I think how I approach historic like you know a period piece or costume drama whatever you want to call it um in tv and especially in books too is usually it's like a new take on something I already know about or it's just something I've never heard of before Uh and I was just like how did I not know this existed or or again, like a fresh take on something that I already think I know about, which I think is why I'm totally into like every Austin and uh-huh. women adaptation that's yep. ever been made. Yeah. Um, like I thought, like, you know, a lot, I feel like the new Emma, the most recent one with Anya Taylor-Joy, um, 
is a little polarizing. I think in, I mean, most things are a little polarizing in the Austin community. There's kind of the camp of people who want it to be super faithful. Purist, and, yeah. yeah. Or the people who are like, oh no, it's fun, whatever. Um, I am definitely in the latter. Yeah, and same. I thought the new Emma was really fun. It was so, be- it was gorgeous to watch. It's like um, popcorn for your eyes. Yeah. And same with, I think, there was a Mansfield Park adaptation in 1999, and then even the Kira Knightley Pride and Prejudice was, again, very polarizing because there were pretty significant changes made in both of those. And I think, but I think what I liked about it is that both of those movies tried to put a modern perspective on it, which yeah. I know a lot of people also don't love <laughs> when it comes to historical stuff. But I think when you're making it for a modern audience, you have to consider have to. the modern viewer. Absolutely. Um, but then I look at like Little Women, both, I think my my absolute favorite is the 1994 Winona Ryder. Mm-hmm. But then I really enjoyed the 2019 version by or directed by Greta Gerwig. And, and then there was a PBS miniseries of it as well. I think it was like two or three episodes. And I think that came out in like 2018. Mm-hmm. But they were, th- those were actually pretty faithful. I think, especially the Greta Gerwig version, you know, she plays around with the timeline and jumps around, but I think, but the other ones do follow pretty chronologically and all of the major beats are hit. Right. Um, yeah. And then I also want to give a very special shout out. This is not really historical. It is, <laughs> though. if you think about it, it is, it, it was a contest point. Yeah. But it is kind of an artifact of history is clueless, which yeah. is the best adaptation of Emma to date. I have to agree with you 100%. You know, so <laughs> yeah. Um, so then another thing that I'm just like, absolute trash for is the war of the roses and Tudor England it's such a wild time (laughs) it's it's bonkers it's like how did how did anyone do anything because everyone's Mm -hmm. just trying to poison each other and kill each other (laughs) that's true Um, so much so much backstabbing I know like literal backstabbing (laughs) but I really loved like the white queen and the white princess which were stars miniseries I I know they've done another one about um Henry VIII's first wife, Catherine, but I have not watched that one yet. Like I even, I watched all of the Tudors and the Tudors <laughs> was so not good. <laughs> I watched the whole thing too. And I, every time I was like, why am I doing this? I know myself? it was like, why am I doing this? But then I was like, oh wait, but tell me more about Thomas Culpepper. Like what's happening? Who are these people? Um, and I think that's also why I enjoyed the first, you know, six seasons of Game of Thrones so much is because, you know, that is, it's not exactly a War of the Roses retelling, but it's pretty close. And, and I think that's why I liked it so much. I did, I got through, I think the first two books of Game of that series, but that was it. Um, And then I made a a section that is called Purely Because They Are Pretty. Um, and I like how that just comes off your tongue too. Yes. And it's Downton Abbey, I think is the first one. Cause again, that, I mean, the first two seasons, maybe season three are pretty decent, but then it just goes off the rails. Um, <laughs> and I'd say that's pretty true for most masterpiece historical dramas. Uh-huh. Um, I also really love Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette. That's the one that stars Kirsten Dunst. I mean, it was just, it was gorgeous. So beautiful. Yeah. No one had weird accents. Like it was just like, just talk and say these crazy, you know, literally just say, let the meat cake, you know, it's mm-hmm. fine. Um, and then there's another show that I think is very underrated. And this isn't just because it's pretty. This is actually a really good TV show, but it's Harlots, which was on Hulu. And it's about two brothels in 
like, I think it's like right after Regency England. So I don't remember what time period that is, but it's before Victorian, but I think right after the Regency. It's pretty historically Mm -hmm. accurate. There are people of color there and it is about, you know, prostitutes, but it is, but it's definitely from the female gaze. It's never gratuitous. That's awesome. Um, There is nudity. I mean, this is definitely like not for children. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But fun fact is that Lady Sybil, who was on Downton Abbey, is on Harlots, and she is she's playing a completely different character. It's very it's very cool. And then finally, I really love kind of very literary historical Mm -hmm. stuff. So the first one I thought of, and I've recommended this before, was Dickinson on Apple TV. I think I love that one mainly because it's so anachronistic, Um, but it does. But I think it's it's actually like it probably is very true to the spirit of Emily Dickinson. We talked about Lovecraft Country on HBO. It's a really interesting take on H.P. Lovecraft and dissecting race in America and the monsters, both literal and figurative monsters that Black people have to deal with. And then I wanted to give a shout out to, because I think these were kind of formative for me, especially like Baz Luhrmann in general, like Romeo and Juliet, and then even Moulin Rouge. I was I was just like thinking about that. Yeah, I was just thinking about Moulin Rouge too. You said consumption, really and I was like Moulin Rouge. Oh, Satine. <laughs> yeah, and then and the Great Gatsby, of course. Yes. Um, which wasn't, you know, again, wasn't wasn't great. But I also don't know if the Great Gatsby is a very adapt is very adaptable. And then finally, I did also want to talk about Anna Karenina, the Joe Wright version with Keira Knightley. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is just it's such just it's like the Keira Knightley show. Um. <laughs> well, is she, is she like Chadwick Boseman, I think got yeah. kind of caught in that same sort yeah. of thing where you think of Keira Knightley in historical context yeah. so much. But yeah, I really liked this version of Anna Karenina. I mean, it's very long. I think it's like three hours, but so it good, was, though. it was so interesting because they like staged it like a play and then it wasn't a play, but then it was back to the play. And it was like, what does this all mean? It was very, like very Russian, writing you know or Russian literature inspired obviously it should be but um yeah it was really cool so so yeah so that's some of or those are some of our favorite historical tv and films Mm -hmm. so let us know what yours are (laughs) yeah it makes me want to go back and rewatch Anna Karenina so good okay so moving on Let's dive in to books. I mean, we are fresh, the fresh fiction podcast. That's right. We got to talk books at least once. Yeah. So there's a ton of, I think, especially in romance, there is kind of what is carried through our conversation is kind of what is how much, or not what is, but how much of a modern point of view do you want to instill in your historical fiction? Um, and it's, I think it's going to be an ongoing conversation. And I think especially the more people learn about history and we mm-hmm. can push back against what, you know, people say is accurate or whatever, I think it will continue to change. Yeah. Um, I read a lot of historical romance and historical fiction, but specifically historical romance. And so this is like, kind of like my jam. Yeah, um, I was like, this is your category. My very yeah. measly, tiny little list down here. I'm like, hey guys. Oh, they're good though. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, we have to talk about Beverly Jenkins. Yes. She does such an amazing, phenomenal job with American history and specifically black American history. Um, and, you know, and she's gone on the record and I'll try to find a couple of good 
She's done quite a few virtual events throughout the pandemic. I know she's done a couple where she's talked about this kind of at length, Mm -hmm. but you know, so many people come to her or, you know, she, she has been very upfront about this and other authors have been upfront about this, about when someone approaches specifically a white author and will say, well, why don't you put people of color in your books? Like people of color were in England during the Regency mm-hmm. or whatever time period it is and whatever, it's not just, you know, black people, but that's yeah. what I'm going with because I'm talking about Beverly Jenkins. And a lot of authors have pretty blatantly said, I don't want to write about suffering or yeah. I want my books to be happy. And I think, you know, and Beverly Jenkins definitely pushes up against that and says, well, sure, but there are still black people here. Like we didn't, we didn't just exist to suffer. Mm-hmm. And And she does such a great job, I think, showing that she shows the struggles that people go through, but she also shows where there's joy. And that's incredibly important. And she also puts tons and tons and tons of like, um, she like basically lists her bibliography in the back of every one of her books, you know, and like, she's like, no, this stuff like this happened. So um, I think my favorite book of hers is Tempest. It starts with the heroine of the book, literally shooting the man she's going to marry in the leg. (laughs) And it's amazing. Oh man. It sounds like the beginning of a Tyler Perry movie. Yeah. I can't remember (laughs) if it's his leg or his shoulder, but anyway, um, it's so good. It's really great, but I mean, you can't go wrong. All of her books are great. Alyssa Cole also writes, you know, we've talked about Alyssa Cole and her contemporary books, but she also wrote a very wonderful series called the Loyal League series, which is about black spies for the union army during the civil war, which is difficult to do and still make it like a happy romance novel. Um, but they are really, really, really well done. I really loved them. Um, yeah, those came out a a couple of years ago, I believe. Then for Regency, which I think is by far the most popular historical romance subgenre, I love authors like Tessa Dare, Olivia Drake, Sarah McLean, and Vanessa Riley, who we will hear from in a little bit. Um, yeah. And those, they're just, most of them are really fun. I think, you know, Sarah McLean and Vanessa Riley probably write a little angstier, like they're the stakes in their books are a little higher. I think Tessa Dare and Olivia Drake write kind of the light, frothy, fun um, historical romances that I think a lot of people expect, but I think they do interesting things, particularly with their characters and like their backstories and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then I also want to talk a little bit about Chanel Clayton's Perez family saga that starts in the 1950s and 60s. Um, it's about a Cuban family during the rise of Castro and throughout the Cuban revolution. Um, and her first book in this series was called Next Year in Havana. And that was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. I think all of her books are really excellent and it's also based on her family story and how they came to America. So that's really cool. cool. Yeah. So what about you, Gwen? Tell me about your books. Well, so it was kind of spinning off of your Chanel Clayton uh, pick. I, one of my favorites is Philippa Gregory. I know that she's a classic, but I've just, she was one of the first historical fiction writers that I won. I, could enjoy like that was because she at least she has the history and she's really detailed about that but she's also so focused on character and really getting intimate with those characters and that was something that you know we see so much in romance but we don't see it in more in like literature or historical literature um so I really enjoyed that I love the other Boleyn girl I love um uh the ones about uh Catherine Arnott like I'm just I'm a Mm -hmm. huge fan of them and uh, I also tried to do the Hillary Mandel books, the uh, Wolf House. 
they're real dense. She's another one that's like very poppy in her writing, but I just could not, it's, I just couldn't get invested in that one as much. Um, and then also for a romance classic, this is one that my mom, um, got me to read very young. It was probably one of the first historical fictions I read because she wanted me out of her hair was, uh, is Loretta Chase's Lord of Scoundrels, um, is one I know that we bring it up. It's classic all the time, but those are two that I, those are like, you know, two writers I think that are really, really great. Um, and my problem is I don't read a lot of historical because, uh, I just really enjoy seeing it. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I just like to see it. So like a lot of mine are like classic-y and I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about Moby Dick or anything. Those are not books that are enjoyable, but, um, you watch the, the adaptation of Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall. Cause for as dense as that book is, the adaptation was very good. It was very good. Yeah. Yeah. It got like, it cut all the stuff that they Mm -hmm. didn't need, but then it was also as prosy and fluid and beautiful as like the screenplay was so good in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I would have loved to see, cause they did the BBC match, the BBC miniseries. And then they also had a two part, a two night play that they did um, at the, around the same time. I think that they came out at the round, but yeah, I, I loved, I love both of those. And I, what I think is the best thing about historical fiction and historical romance specifically is that it did it because you're getting it through the story you're getting like a personal story not this like dates and times and and Mm -hmm. uh wars and stuff it is intimate stories about people which help other modern people relate to that and to see that there's humanity there and to see that that it wasn't just like rich people or that black people were only here to suffer it was like everybody has their own story or that chinese people were only here to build railroads and to build yeah. like san francisco up and it's like no there's this rich history here mm-hmm. that we get to dig into because writers have taken the opportunity to really like show their work and do the and do the research yeah i 100 percent agree i think that's great so now guys write us more uh, historical fictions. That's what we need. Tell our writer friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, stay tuned for our interview with Vanessa Riley. She's going to be next and uh, we will talk to you in just a little bit. We are joined today by Vanessa Riley. Vanessa writes Regency romances and historical fiction of dazzling multicultural communities with powerful persons of color. Vanessa writes for historical romance readers who admire and acquire books that showcase women who find joy in sweeping kisses and strong sisterhoods. Love that. Even in the darkness, she promises to give you laughs and show you how light always prevails and how love always, always wins. Vanessa juggles mothering a teen, cooking for her military man, husband, and speaking at women's and STEM events. She loves baking her training Trinidadian grandma's cake recipes and collecting Irish crochet lace. She's known for her sweeping romances and humorous delivery of poignant truth. You can catch her writing from the comfort of her southern porch with a cup of Earl Grey tea. I'm coming over as soon as it's safe. Um, (laughs) Welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast, Vanessa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, well, thank you ladies for having me. Of course. So, oh, no, I was just so thrilled to have you. Yeah. You, I think of 
the romance events throughout the pandemic, I think I have seen your face the most on all of the different chats. And it's so fun because not, you know, obviously this is a podcast so no one can see, but you have these amazing bookshelves behind you (laughs) in your office. And I think at every chat, everyone's like, where did you get these bookshelves? How did you curate them? They look so amazing. So tell us a little bit about your bookshelves. (laughs) Um, There was a, a point where my husband was like, okay, you're, you're doing this for real, right? You're, you're really doing this awesome thing. Why don't you make your office look like you're a real writer? Okay. Um, because he was tired of, of like, is it, I do, as you guys know, I do a lot of research mm-hmm. for every one of my books and yeah. you can literally walk into my office and tell at what stage I am in because <laughs> what you see on the floor, oh, she's getting close to the end. So it's like, yeah the kitchen table would be covered and all this sort of stuff. And so, so uh, he allowed me or we, we decided we were going to do my office upright. And so I have bookcases on like two walls are gone. You, you yeah. have four walls. They're just full of bookcases. And I love to, you know, particularly now that we're all Zoomites, right? Mm-hmm. And I live in fear that they're going to do that. You know, the, the room raiders going to like, like, you know. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to give I want to give people just a little piece of me, and and so that's why you see all these wonderful things like you know my little little dolls. Oh, Jane Austen fell over. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. I love it. But yeah, it's like I I you know I'm a budget girl too, so I had my designer go that these are IKEA shelves. Uh-huh. And, that and um, you just you just think about your space. I love books, so I want my books to be prominently displayed. Mm-hmm. I love little nooks and things that you know remind me of my research, and so those are displayed uh, all around the room as well. And Earl, the Girl, and the Toddler is your latest book, and it brings readers back into the world of the Rose and Remarkable Women series. It also has an amnesia plotline that was a lot of fun to learn more about. Um, what do you want readers to know about? before they start reading uh, Jemina and Daniel's story? I, I try to write each one of the book as standalones. Mm-hmm. However, if you read the first book, you get a lot more insight into the jokes yeah. and where these two people are coming from. Right. And you meet Jemina um, in the first book. She's a Bedlamite. She and Patience, that's where they met and that's where they bonded. And their friendship has endured uh, throughout the books. Um, but she's a woman who now has a fortune. Um, she's being sought after by the town because, you know, a woman mm-hmm. with a large a fortune is, of course, in want of a husband. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so she's trying to figure her way out. And at the same time, she wants to know who she was. Yeah. What kind of person was she? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what was her family like? She's nothing right now except mm-hmm. for patience and patience's family which is somewhat adopted her uh when you get into an earl the girl and a toddler but she's just trying to figure things out mm-hmm. and then you have daniel and daniel was is the barrister from uh duke the lady and the baby mm-hmm. he is a biracial barrister and he's been coming up through the court so one of the f- most fascinating things in my research was the prince regent was a lot more progressive than we romance writers have ever given him credit for. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know him as licentious and just <laughs> eating all kind of crazy things and just, you know, just a, basically a party all the time. Right. True. 
<laughs> but there's another side to him where right. he is very progressive and he uses his privilege to do yeah. some really great things. And so there are people that he thought should be elevated, should be given um, resources and access. And, you know, from famous composers to boxers, and you meet them at, uh, in An Earl of Girl and a Toddler. But Daniel is one of them. He was the brain. And so he's Socratic and, and whatnot. And so his rise in the courts has somewhat come under the favor of the Prince Regent. So he's at a crossroads now because he's been elevated. That was something he wasn't expecting. He knew it was possible, but he wasn't expecting it uh, yeah. because his, his uncle was determined to never let him ever, ever, <laughs> uh, but he couldn't look over, unfortunately, and there were no heirs that uh, that succeeded the precedent. So mm. now you have him. He's been he had figured out this balance of how to navigate this world as a barrister, and now he is titled. And through his aunt, who's also a titled woman, he's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of what happens in the town and mm-hmm. and how to survive. And so now he's trying to find all this his footing but yet he's got secrets that he knows that he thought he could handle as a barrister. But now with all the spotlight on him, he doesn't know if he's going to be able to handle it as now the Earl of Ashbrook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really have enjoyed while reading this book, how they both are in such transitional times in their lives. And then on top of it, then you also have this like um, almost kind of it's like you can see that they're attracted to each other even though initially they're always like kind of just at each other you know just like arguing and bickering mm-hmm. a bit and so yeah it's like they have all of these things like trying to figure out who she literally is <laughs> and then he's trying to navigate the world and then oh yeah and also I think I'm falling in love with you too right so. <laughs> and a baby and a toddler and a toddler throw a toddler in the mix too I love it so one thing that I've always really appreciated about your work is how you centered your characters in your novels in a way that really shows how people of color lived during various points in history, but especially during Regency. I I think that's where I started reading your books um, with some of your Regencies. So I was wondering if you could tell us kind of a little bit about your journey into writing. Had you always planned on writing historical romance and historical fiction and kind of how that, that all started? Uh, the answer to the first part is no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, it, as as my mother was very uh, emphatic in making sure that we learned literature, mm-hmm. that we were always exposed to all kind of writings and readings and stuff like that. So, so writing and literature and reading have always been a part of my journey. Um, and uh, in, in, you know, in high school, I, I won several awards and, but I also was on the math team and the academic team and, and all these different things. And there's a point where you have to decide, okay, what will be your career path? <laughs> um, and, you know, when you look at the world of, you know, the waves of women of color publishing, they, it kind of, there was waves, right? There was the Toni Morrison wave. Uh, before that, they, there's these, all these, you know, Maya Angelou and all these, it's almost like there's these, these time frames. But when I was looking, there wasn't really that big of opportunities unless mm-hmm. you were writing literary fiction. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, ascribe to think my prose are nice, but 
<laughs> so it wasn't, it didn't seem like a viable option. And then when you look at romance writing, particularly, and, uh, and or his historical romance, which mm -hmm. I'd always been, had this drive ever since I read Sanditon, um, you know, Jane Austen's very last work, because I'd always been, you know, I'd love Western civilization. I'd love, you know, following the different cycles in history because I firmly believe history repeats itself. Yeah. And then you, you get to Jane Austen's and then the wealthiest woman in the book is this mulatto woman. And I'm like, oh, bet, I'm on, I get it. <laughs> right. But once again, when you look at the the the, the publishing landscape, it's, mm -hmm. it's really just Beverly Jenkins. I mean, mm -hmm. recently we now have the Alyssa Cole and Piper Hughley's and, and all these other people that are yeah. now writing historical romance, but it was just Beverly. So it didn't look like that was a real opportunity. So my mama said, pay your bills first. So we went with math and we became an engineer and, mm -hmm. and literally got uh, all the way to getting a doctorate in mechanical engineering. Yeah. Um, it was later on and it later on when, um, you know, I'm working on my startups and we're doing all these things in high tech and I was pregnant with my daughter and it was a difficult pregnancy and mm -hmm. the doctor was like, you're going to have to sit your little tail down. <laughs> you want a good outcome. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I literally found one of my old journals where I had been writing some of these, these stories that were always in my head. And I, yeah. you know, I started writing again and it, that love, it never goes away. Once you have the bug to write stories, it, it just never goes away. And, and, yeah. and I kept working at it. And my first uh, published book was Madeline's Protector, which was that story, which I wrote 125 times. Wow. Um, 2013. And, and yeah. I don't, I'd like to say I haven't looked back and, and we just kept going on this trajectory. I also had a difficult pregnancy with my daughter and I was on bed rest. And I love that you wrote or started writing a book and I just watched Grey's Anatomy reruns um, <laughs> throughout the end of my entire, I think I watched Grey's Anatomy like three times through. So that's awesome. <laughs> you do things on repeat. I think when we have to nest, when you're in forced yeah. nesting, you do things on repeat. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and Vanessa being, you know, finding your voice in historical romance, um, how do you think that the past informs the present and also perhaps the future? I think history repeats itself, fortunately or unfortunately fortunately, right? Yeah. And so I think we need to learn. We, we are all in a, in a position of privilege. We, we are very, we, when you look back, you know, like those, we go back to the, the what is it, 1917 flu epidemic and whatnot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There were lessons learned there, right? And we come to, we sort of learned them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's like, if history repeats itself, what are we looking at today that should yeah. help us? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I look at is what did we learn from the past? Because obviously we're all here. Mm -hmm. So people figured things out. They figured out how to survive. They figured out that love is more powerful than hate. They figured yeah. out how to keep going. So I want to show those communities. I want to show those places. Particularly, I love multicultural places because mm -hmm. I think that's a, that's the greatest tension, particularly in history. You have people of different backgrounds, different yeah. uh, belief systems, and when you throw them all together, and now we're going to be a family because these two people say they want to get married, or right, you know, there's that's a great tension, and <laughs> I firmly believe that love conquers all, and that that's I think we can learn from that. I think we can mm -hmm. learn 
the right lessons, we can also see the wrong lessons yeah. and hopefully make the future better. I can see your Island Queen review copy behind you. And I just want to say that is, I think, like one of my favorite covers of this oh. year. They knocked it out of the park with that cover. Blue in the background and the feathers. It's it's awesome. Um, so yeah, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your upcoming historical fiction novel, Island Queen, which comes out in July. And it tells the absolutely fascinating story of Dorothy Kieran. Am I saying that correctly? Kieran or? Kerwin. But or Kerwin. I'm Southern, okay. so we often mess yeah. up every name. Yeah. Like Dorothy Kerwin Thomas. And she's this amazing Black woman who becomes incredibly successful and wealthy after beginning her life as a slave. And I was wondering, where did you come across Dorothy? And like kind of what started your research into her? When I started writing, like we talked about 2013, I had read Sandin, but a lot of people hadn't. <laughs> and so there's this perception based on what they see on TV, even though I love the 1995 Pride and Prejudice version, mm-hmm. um, there's a scene where, where Darcy is in the worst part of London and he's, he's got the, the, you know, the, the, there's, I think he's got a servant that's got, you know, a, a lantern mm-hmm. and some little boy runs out and gives him more, a tankard of ale to drink because he, you know, to refresh him. <laughs> Yeah. And on the street, there's no one of color. Yeah. In that particular scene alone, although people, you know, people of color were in the households, they were landowners, they had Mm -hmm. businesses. On that particular street, he should have seen at least one Mm -hmm. person of color. Yeah. Um, And so there's this perception that that persons of color just weren't there. Right. We'll give you Africa and the kings and queens in Africa, (laughs) and we'll give you 1865. Civil War. Yeah, you had to have a war because of slavery. So, (laughs) you know, it's important. (laughs) Nothing else in between, right? Um, You know, the spaceship drop. You know, all this sort of stuff, right? Yeah. Um, And so, in people's quest to understand uh, what history truly was like, or you know, I was on a quest too. I wanted. I was like, I know, or, or even I had to answer the question. Was Jane Austen just progressive? She's she's a contemporary author of her time. Was she just being progressive when she described Sandin? When she when he made she makes Miss Lamb, the mulatto woman, uh, mixed race woman from uh, the islands, uh, the richest woman in the book, the woman mm-hmm. that ev- that men are scheming over to marry for her wealth. Is that a figment of her imagination, or is that more a representation of what she was seeing? And so I began this journey of, I wanted to find examples. I wanted to find people. And I come across this cartoon. Um, and car- and you can tell so much about an era from the paintings, from mm-hmm. the literature that's being produced and particularly the cartoons, political cartoons. Mm-hmm. And so I find this cartoon of Prince William Henry, AKA William IV. And he's in bed in a hammock with a black woman. Hmm. And it's lovingly drawn, and the woman is beautiful. Now, typically, especially this particular uh, cartoonist, satirist, masochist, chauvinist, mm, uh, yeah. all the ist you want to put on it, Gilroy, right. <laughs> right? Yeah. When he drew black women, particularly in his cartoons, he makes them garish, big lips, big behind, oh. all these sort of things, because he wants them to be part of the joke that he's telling. Yeah. Right. But in this picture. The woman is drawn beautifully. So mm. he's not trying to make her an object of a joke. He is tattling. He is telling on the prince. The prince is 
I had the audacity to have this romance yeah. with this black woman. And I wanted to know who she was. Was she enslaved? Was this, you know, what was going on? Mm-hmm. And then you find more stories that this, a woman, the prince literally sneaks on his boat because he's the ca- he's the sailor king. So he was yeah. the captain of the um, uh, um, Andromeda and a few others, literally sneaks her to London a black woman that he's wow. met in the islands. And so I start doing this search and the more I find, the more I find, I find him being in love with this woman in Dominica. Wow. And oh. that's where I find Dorothy. And the records are very clear. I believe that that's the woman that he took on this boat. And so this, and you, you look at Dorothy's story, she was enslaved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she literally is able to save enough money to buy her freedom and the freedom of her children uh, and literally builds an empire of, mm-hmm. of, of hotels and businesses throughout the Caribbean. Um, wow. She becomes one of the <laughs> powerhouses. Amazing. And then her story just continues because this, this uh, that was a funny thing is like, I found this woman and I'm expecting this small story. And I'm like, no, there's this. Oh no, I, I, there's this. And she did this and, then, and yeah. she's got friends. That, I was like, yeah, I'm beyond excited that you are bringing her story to all of us. How lucky is everyone who mm-hmm. is interested in historical fiction? And even if they are, they're not, I think that story just sounds not quite relatable, but but people will find things within it that they yeah. are going to be able to completely understand. And I think that that is so important. Was there anything that you researched about her that didn't make it into your book that you wanted to include, but you know, for whatever reason, it, it didn't make it? Yes, there were okay. lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 75,000 words might have been had to cut out of the First version of this book. It's yeah. Kind of wow. Yeah, between my editor and I, uh, yeah. like, oh, you turned in two books. Love this. Right. That's the, yeah, that's the second book right there. <laughs> um, there, there are so many things. Um, and, but there, there are snippets. So I don't want to go into the. There's yeah. A, there, I was able to touch on a lot of the different stories, uh, but you know, um, some of the intricacies in how she built her business, mm-hmm. I had. Kind of because you have to pick and choose in the narrative, mm-hmm. and some things are technically really cool and interesting, but are they supporting the story I'm trying to tell? It, you know, it's 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 always yeah. a choice because the thing is, unfortunately, it's a thick book, guys. I want y'all to get through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she was she was very clever, and she was able. She was one of I think one of we call it code switching, right? Code mm-hmm. switching is when you're comfortable with a group of people, you speak one way. And yeah. then when you get mm-hmm. with your homies, your friends, you speak a totally different way, right? Yeah. Then you get with your Southern people and then you just yeah. really, she's <laughs> one of those original people because you read these narratives of firsthand accounts of her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, yeah. <laughs> same person? Yeah. yeah. She could fit into any situation, any party. Yeah. Exactly. And mm-hmm. and literally that's, uh, there, there are accounts that say exactly that. They, yeah. she, she, they, they loved going to her house. They loved having dinners with her. She was a, a marvelous conversationalist. They, they, she was very engaging. I think she's one of those, I don't want to say rare women because we don't know so much about history. So many, yeah. so many stories have been uh, just, just completely hidden. And right you know, having the opportunity to tell her story is such a privilege because uh, she's a rare find. Um, but I don't, I think 
it's only rare now. I'm hoping that the world opens up more and we're able to find these great stories and, and authors are able to bring them to people because I think it, it'll change people's perspectives. Yeah. And this book, Island Queen, will change your perspective because once again, we have a very narrow view of what these Georgian and Regency times were. When you see mm -hmm. the, the expanded playing field, when you see the West Indies as a vibrant part of the social fabric, um, the, the American, hey, Americans are in the book. No. <laughs> when you see the landscape, it just, it just changes your mind. It changes your perspective. And I think yeah. that's the beauty of, fi of fiction, just to be able to open your minds up about some new aspect um, to, to hopefully change our path and change how you use uh, what you've been given to do on this earth. It changes that. And, and I yeah. think that's the beauty of fiction. Absolutely. That's my, that's the thing that I always anchor to and tell other readers is that I love about fiction is that you can have these complex, hard stories or learn about characters that you've, people you've never even heard of and do it in a way that feels relatable and identifiable and recognizable. And it makes it so much fun. And then that's when we know we've done our jobs, right? Mm -hmm. As an author, that's when you know you've done your job is when people can see themselves in it or they understand and they just get that little, maybe it's a little happiness from a romance or a mm -hmm. deeper understanding from historical fiction and, and knowing that we can survive. People have survived everything. So right. we can survive whatever we're going through right now. Yeah. Well, speaking of like putting your stories together and finding the characters that you want to talk about, is there a historical time period that you want to write about that you haven't had a chance to write about yet? Hmm. Historical time period that I haven't written about. My, it's, it's funny because my focus is real narrow, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> 1750 to about 1830, then it stops, right? Right. <laughs> um, the Victorian period is always fascinating. Yeah. Edwardian, you, yeah. you know, as, as you get closer to the wars, the world wars, those look like very interesting timeframes. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's how much further do we go into history and where are their spaces? Um, the, the history of the Caribbean after 1830, 1830 is 1830-35-ish, uh, because, you know, it takes time to let people know they're actually free, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. right. so looking at the Caribbean after that fact of what's happened, I think are, are probably some wonderful stories. Mm -hmm. um, and and then going deeper into maybe some of the Russian areas, mm -hmm. uh, because the migration is is huge. You, you see, you go from the West Indies, you go to Scotland, you go to Ireland, you go to Russia. Wow. So there's this huge migration that I, that hasn't even really gone into depth. There, there, are, book, yeah. there are always books yeah. that have gone to it, but to, to go in to see some of these journeys, I think they're um, are very fascinating. So it's not most, more so a time period, but it's like deepening that lens of the yeah. end of the yeah. stories is what I, I'm, I'm really drawn to. Something that we talk about, Gwen and I talk about during our segments on the podcast before and after our interviews is what's bringing us comfort and joy. It could be a new skincare product. It could be a book. It could be a TV show. And we always love to ask our guests, what is something that has made you happy in the last couple of weeks? Boxes of chocolates. <laughs> so I had a birthday recently and oh, some yay. friends have sent boxes of chocolates. Yeah. And this one is uh, Gundren's, but they're the fancy chocolates. You know, the ones that had like the paper that tell you what the chocolate yeah. is. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Man, that, mm -hmm. That's been amazing. Uh, probably too amazing. 
<laughs> well, <laughs> down to the last shelf yeah. in the box. Of yeah. Oh, see, that's always the worst when the box is over. It's like, no, I want more chocolates. No, I want <laughs> more. Yeah. Happy it's such a pretty birthday, box. Though, you know, it's yeah. like, you can't, like. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, you can never go wrong with chocolate. It's always, it's always, one, it's always there. Mm-hmm. And two, it's always delicious. Always. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, Nessa, what can readers expect from you next after Island Queen is released in July? Well, there are some some announcements that will be coming forward. Okay. Um, some big ones. Mm-hmm. So you, you guys you guys should be very happy. Um, but at the moment, <laughs> I am working on Sister Mother Warrior. It is my next historical fiction, and that is focusing on the two women who were instrumental in um, uh, helping shape the Haitian Revolution. It starts in 1758-ish and uh, moves all the way to about 1805 time period. So we're still my magic area, right? Yeah. (laughs) Still very Georgian, still very Regency-ish time period. Um, But it's, it's, it's fascinating. And these, there was... This is one of the wars where women were very active, literally in hmm. the fight. Wow. Um, and you don't, you don't, you don't hear about it. No. One of the women, Mary Claire, um, she is so impassioned for the people. She literally leads a mule train of women to go into the middle of the fighting oh. uh, to feed both sides. And the French wow. and the uh, Santa Domingans, uh, which would be the native army, literally stop mm-hmm. to allow this woman and, and the mules and everybody into the city of, of Jacques. <laughs> and I'm like, they did what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but it's like these these stories you you don't hear mm-hmm. women doing that, and and you you don't you know most most other wars. That, that I've done research and, I, that, and I'm, I'm really, you know, doing a lot of research on, on mm-hmm. this particular one. You don't see literally active in the fight and in, you know, on mules. Showing to yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> All right, I'm Vanessa. sure there were. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so before we wrap things up, where can readers connect with you online? Best thing is go to my, go to my website, um, mm-hmm. sign up for my newsletter, VanessaRiley.com. Um, I spotlight some research tips. I tell you some crazy things that are going on in, in my world. Um, and from that website, you can get to all my social. I'm very active on Instagram. I'm moderately active on Twitter. I am there on Facebook. <laughs> kind of promise to be better. I promise. I promise. Um, but yeah, my website is, it's kind of like the, the, the central control. So that yeah. you'll learn events, you'll, um, what's going on, where I'm going to be at, all, any kind of virtual signings, contests, you, you'll, you'll get a feed that will go through uh, my website to get out of that. I love going to your website because I just get lost for, you'll sit there and I'll be like, oh, this is interesting. Wait, I'm going to open this tab and then I'm going to click here. And then I have to look up what I don't understand on Wikipedia. And it just, you know, it keeps going. Uh So yes, I, I mean, your website is, I think a treasure trove of information. I really appreciate everything that goes into it. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is, this is great guys.
Okay, Danielle, it's time to check in and about our goals. Mm -hmm. So last week, you uh, had the goal of eating more vegetables. Yeah. How successful were you at your goal? I think I was pretty good. I'm not quite ready to just like buy my giant Costco tub of salad. Uh-huh. Um, but I did, we, like, I made a point to buy, like, we buy like cute, like my, my daughter loves to eat just like sliced cucumbers. Mm-hmm. So I, we bought extra. We're all eating cucumbers. Um, yeah, I just made sure to buy more vegetables, like what looked good. So it was like, we had a lot of cucumbers and bell peppers and I got like fresh green beans to nice. make with dinner, you know, so it was just being more conscious. So I think yeah. I was successful in eating more vegetables. I didn't like, you know, how some people like when they say that and then they say, eat a vegetable with breakfast. Like I'm not, I'm not that person. <laughs> um, just not going there. Um, <laughs> but like, what's a, what's a breakfast vegetable? Like yeah, a potato? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, potato's not a vegetable. <laughs> It's the only vegetable I could think of was like came out of the ground. <laughs> yeah. You know, or like people who put like broccoli in their omelets or something. Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, I do. I think I, I think I did a pretty good job. Okay. And so your goal was to sell your big stuff, which you kind of talked about a bit already. Um, but yes, did you, did you complete your goal? I am, my goal is still work is still in process in progress. I don't know yeah. what the right word, what word that was supposed to be there. Um, but I did sell a TV and I have some negotiations going on right now with, uh, some coffee tables and end tables. So nice. hopefully, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard getting rid of stuff. I thought it would be easy. I thought it would be so easy, but then it turns out that everybody has a couch on, on the internet available yes. for purchase. So yeah. we will see. That yeah. Is- that is, it's a lot. It is Moving a lot. It is very stressful. Yeah. But it's coming along and I feel, oh, I found, oh, I did find if I couldn't get sold, can sell everything. Mm. I did finally find a charitable donation place that will take all right. of my stuff at the that's end. That's awesome. So that's good. Cause a lot of the places aren't doing that because of COVID. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. All right. So new goals this week. Yes. Yeah even though we still are trying to achieve our eating more vegetables and selling yeah. more of our big stuff, we still have new goals to, to, kill, <laughs> to, to try to tackle this time. Um, so I'll go first. My, my new goal this week is to move more, at least to move every, for 30 minutes a day to like walk around the house or to go for yeah. a walk or just get away from my computer. I've been finding myself like very exhausted looking at my computer at like five mm-hmm. o'clock and I just don't want to do that. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Moving more, I think is going to hopefully help with that. That's really, that's really good. Yeah. I, that's what I strive for every day. I try to do 30 minutes of something, mm-hmm. um, every day also. Cause I, I have an Apple watch, so I like to complete my ring. So yeah. I was like, I missed my Fitbit. It used to bug it. It used to go, Hey, move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my goal for this week, so this is again, one of like, kind of like my desk clean, keeping my, I'm looking <laughs> at my desk. It's not clean. Um, but it's an overarching goal. But so usually because I am still very much a nerd, <laughs> I like to give myself kind of a summer reading project in the past. It's what well, I've actually, this new goal is actually one I've done in the past, but I've like, I'll usually pick like a series or kind of a time period that I mm-hmm. want to know more about or something. And so, but this summer, and this is related to what is bringing me comfort and joy this week, but um, it's rereading all of Austin. I haven't done this in a few years. Yeah. 
And, and it's just, it's so fun, I think. And I think kind of tied to all of our, our, our whole conversation about why we love historicals and everything. And, and especially because I love Austin adaptations. It was like the more I thought about, it, I was like, oh, I should just reread Emma. Mm-hmm. Like, I love Emma so much. I love Sense and Sensibility. You know, I love them all for yeah. different reasons. So yeah, so this is like my summer goal. Hopefully by the next podcast, I will, or the next podcast recording, I will have hopefully started it at least. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think it'll probably be one that I kind of update about over the course of the next few months. Cool. I'm here to help hold you accountable for that. Thank you. <laughs> um, I have a question for you. Do yes. you, how, which book are you going to start with? I don't know. I need to decide, am I going to do it in... This is so dorky. Am no, I just going to like do it in the order that I want to? Am I going to do it in publication order? Am I going to do it in how the order she wrote them in? You know, there's right. a lot of things to consider. I'm going to have to think about that and get back to you. Yeah, that that would that would be the thing that would keep me like sort of uh, frozen and unable to make a yeah, decision. I'm trying so to like, remember. I, I think the last time I did it in like how they were published. Okay. So maybe I won't, I'll do it a different way this time. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> I feel it's like, it's like a big decision. It is a big decision. I did a uh, reread, first time read, because I had read Pride and Prejudice. I'd read mm-hmm. Emma. Um, and I think I started Sense and Sensibility after the movie, which is also a really great adaptation that we didn't talk about. You know what? I love that, that adaptation. Yep. So good. And written by Emma Thompson. She won an mm-hmm. Oscar for it. So good. Right. PBS, one year, their whole masterpiece yeah. slate were all uh, Austin adaptations. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to reread all, I'm going to read all the books that I hadn't read and then reread the ones I had. And I only made it to Persuasion, which I mm-hmm. really liked, but it was good because it was one I had not read before. Yeah. And it turned out to be of the three, it's now my favorite out of yeah. all of them. Well, yeah, Persuasion's my favorite out of all of them. And I tried to do Northanger Abbey, but that one was boring. You know what's so funny about Northanger Abbey is I think you have to kind of remember that it's, I mean, it's not exactly a parody, but it's like, True. it's supposed to kind of be funny. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And it almost reads very like young adult, like YA yeah. out of all of the other oh, yeah. ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Okay, so now that we have goals, we're going to need something to bring us joy. Yep. <laughs> So let's talk about what has been bringing us joy and maybe we can switch and that's how we can comfort each other. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So what's bringing you comfort this week? So this week I discovered a new, well, I guess I didn't discover a new podcast. I finally listened to the newest season of Newcomers, which is a podcast that stars Lauren Lapkiss and Nicole Byer, who I mentioned yeah. probably every single episode because I love her. <laughs> I love everything she does. So the first series was about Star Wars. The second series was about Lord of the Rings. Neither of those yeah. are things I really needed to revisit at all. It was like, <laughs> I'm good. Thank you. But this season they're doing Tyler Perry. Yeah. I thought that that was going to be so, I was like, oh, okay. I have to listen to some of that because Tyler Perry's stuff is just so over the top mm. and so rich with opportunity for two comedians to like not I, yeah. they don't even eviscerate it they just really like lovingly mm-hmm. look at the show or these movies and talk about them and so I, I listened to one episode about um why did we get married which is actually one I have not a Tyler Perry movie I have not seen yeah um, I'll go back and listen to the Diary of a Mad Black Woman um one next probably yeah. but 
it's uh, it's really good. It's very funny. The episode I listened to had Lauren Ashley Smith and Mariah Smith, who um, are two sisters talking about mm-hmm. it. And so it was really fun. And then I've also started to light a candle at work every day. Ooh, I like that. It's just a routine. I think that's sort of part of it is like, as soon as I do that, then I have to sit down and I have to work and, and that's go really for- good. Yeah. So those are my two things. What about you? I like that. Um, okay. So this is related to my goal. And I think this is what really inspired my goal. So there's this organization called the Jane Austen. It's like Jane Austen Co. And they've been doing this ongoing webinar discussion called Race and the Regency. And it's been so interesting. It's completely from an academic point of view there. I think the people who run it are all like professors or assistant professors or just like involved in academia in some way. Um, But they've had really interesting people come on and talk about Jane Austen and, and really just not even just Jane Austen, but just like race and during the Regency period, which has obviously become like been brought to light because of Mm -hmm. Bridgerton. Um, And it's so, yeah, so it's really great. So like they had the author Evie Zaboy come on about talking about remixing the Regency. She released a YA Pride and Prejudice retelling called Pride that's set in present day Brooklyn. Um, And so she kind of talked about her process through that and like how doing that will lead young readers to the classics. Mm -hmm. Um, It was really, really, really interesting. And then there's another one that I recently watched called by um, Dr. Trisha Matthew, who wrote a very detailed, it's not quite just, it's not just a review of Bridgerton, but it was like diving into Bridgerton and kind of everything that the diverse casting kind of brought to this very white historical romance. Yeah. She wrote this, she wrote kind of this, I don't know, opinion piece. It it is an opinion piece, but it's also like, she backs up a lot of what she says with fact. Um, She wrote it for the LA Review of Books, which we'll link to in show notes. And there are so many others. It goes through May. So by the time this podcast is up, I think almost all of them will be done, but they are available to watch on Jane Austen Co.'s website, which again, we will also um, link to that. Um, But yeah, so I think just thinking of it from that way, and then there's always some sort of, I I guess we can call it like some kind of kerfuffle in the Austin fan community. Always, um, always drama. About historical accuracy or leave politics out of Austin, which I mean, Austin was actually quite a political author that most people don't realize. So beyond just kind of the underlying race discussion you can have with Mansfield Park, they've been really fascinating. I feel like I'm in school because I'm like taking notes, you know? (laughs) That's so cool. That is what's been bringing me, I don't know if it's comforting because I feel like it is like act, I'm like actively listening, but it's definitely bringing me joy and obviously inspired me to reread Austin. Well, Danielle, we've come to the end. I agree. Um, <laughs> I think have. it's it's time for us to say goodbye. It's time for us to get our bonnets on and slip on into <laughs> our historic and put our empire wasted dresses on. Oh no, okay. no one looks good in those. <laughs> so true. <laughs> They're <No>. terrible. <laughs> I used to think they were so flattering. And then I look and we're all like, just shaped yeah. like a triangle. <laughs> yep. No, they're not cute. <laughs> yeah, not for us. We will, we will choose to be more anachronistic and just uh, put our own modern day outfits into the historical so. context. Yeah. Yeah. That would work. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening this week. Um, you can rate, review, subscribe. Um, you can find us on any of your favorite apps if you found us now you probably are listening to us on your favorite directory but we appreciate that we would love to hear
hear what you think um, of the show. It's been really cool hearing some feedback from some of our readers and stuff. So we really appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you guys. Um, you can always find me on all the social, or you can always find us on all the socials at Fresh Fiction. Um, and then you can find me at Real Vixen and then Danielle. Yeah, you can find me at DJ underscore dresser. 